your point about the way the Democrats use the language of social justice, there's an emerging trend I've noticed on social media this morning in talking about the riots. All the kind of blue checkmark Dem people, your, you know, your Joy Reads, your Pod Save Johns, are starting to push this narrative of the outside agitators. Uh, we're, we're, get, we're seeing uh, new evidence, increasing evidence that what was once a peaceful black protest has been made violent by uh, white supremacists or also Antifa, and Antifa being coded as a white supremacist organization. Uh, and so, you know, obviously the solution is, well, you know, we got, we got to stop the protest because it's been corrupted by all these, all these bad, you know, white males, you know? Oh, wow. You tell me that, that you're telling me that, uh, you, that wealthy liberals don't favor protests in which police cruisers get burnt. Color me surprised. Um, what I, what I love about that, uh, I mean, in addition to just sort of being a cryptic way of, of expressing discomfort at the fact of the protests and kind of the you know, destruction of property that they're bringing and stuff and the popular outrage that they're showcasing, you know, kind of cryptically really just saying we need to we need to shut these down because I'm not I'm not actually OK with that. You know, I'm I'm down to say that racism is bad, but go a step further and 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 you've gone too far. Well, it's interesting to see them ha- try to adapt to the new social media reality, because 30 years ago when, you know, Mookie threw the trash can through the window and do the right thing, it was a totally well, you know, it was it was the obviously the wrong thing to destroy that pizza parlor. We can all agree on that. But now there's an increasing consciousness that, you know, if you if you burn down a McDonald's, it's not the same as taking a black life. So these people now have to figure out a way to adapt to that new consciousness. So they have to figure out a way to say that, well, look, we're not saying that it's that the McDonald's is equal to the black life. But what we're saying is that it's obviously outside white people burning down the McDonald's or, hey, it's it's your beloved working class who work at that McDonald's. They're not they're not going to get their paycheck this week. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to get their like, you know, 10, 25 an hour paycheck that they can't collect anyway because uh, they're at home quarantined during coronavirus while the government periodically sends them like a $1,200 check. Definitely. But what I really like about that is it goes back to that whole like there's no red states and blue states type thing. This sentiment that is so seductive to a particular segment of, I guess, the professional political class, but also to, I guess, fairly well off liberals. The core idea of Obama's red states and blue states speech, which, you know, he didn't invent this idea, but he was the one to kind of, I think, give it its most famous articulation. The core idea is that beneath all of the conflict, all of the culture war stuff that everybody is just fed up with and and, and sick of, there is a moderate middle, a moderate majority where everybody fundamentally agrees on what, you know, what needs to happen and may disagree kind of semantically. You know, one side may want the deficit to shrink faster. The other one may want to shrink it more slowly. They both, everyone wants to modernize social security. You know, everyone is essentially uh, some kind of idealized, you know, middle class person that you might see in like a network cable drama, whatever. And that's what America is. And anything that deviates from that is equally extreme. You know, so this is the horseshoe theory thing again, right? Whether it is, mega people or like people that support Bernie Sanders. It doesn't matter if the demands are completely different. It doesn't matter if one group of people is intensely, passionately anti-racist, anti-sexist, that it loathes inequality, that it loathes corruption, that it loathes uh, the stranglehold the corporate interests have over America's political system, while the other is like a braying mob of ultra-reactionary freaks 
whose idea of freedom is driving around in, you know, a gas guzzling Hummer to various strip malls and gorging themselves at, you know, Applebee's or the mall's food court or whatever. And who spent the past, you know, six weeks complaining because they have to make an appointment before they can shop at Pottery Barn or whatever the fuck. Those two things are just equivalent when you decide that everything, you know, everything is just about getting back to some idealized moderate middle. Well, folks, amid everything that's been going on in politics and around the world uh, these past few months, some of you might be wondering whether idealism is even still possible. Can a bright-eyed young man with nothing but the clothes on his back, a skip in his step, and a team of over-caffeinated, overworked volunteers still make it to Washington and shake things up as in the days of yore? That's the pressing question our film today tries to answer, and for those of you who are sick of hearing us talk about German expressionism, 1920s race films, and the like, I've got good news. Can Mr. Smith Still Go to Washington is a straightforward return to the kind of movie that has long been our bread and butter over here at Michael and Us HQ. 